0: Welcome back to Dear Old State, the Athletics Penn State podcast. I am Athletic College Football Editor Matt Brown, joined as always by Penn State writer Audrey Snyder. Audrey, spring practice that did not happen, would have been over anyway by now. We are post-draft in recruiting season. How are you holding up uh, amid all of this as we record another podcast kind of in quarantine here?
1: You know, Matt, what are days anymore? Great question. Uh, Is it, you know, is it Monday? Is it Friday? Is it Sunday? Um. I feel like usually I, g- I get this point in the summer, in like June, July, where like you take some time off and you finally get to that point where you lose track of days, and here we are. Computer says it's Monday, May 4th, um, so I'm just going to roll with it. Uh, I am coming to you today from my parents' house, so I've uh, changed up the location a little bit. Um, there's a really good chance later on in the week when we hear from James Franklin on Zoom that I will be in my parents' basement. Uh, so like yeah this, this is how things are going yeah like a like a true blogger here i am
0: so the last time we spoke here was kind of after penn state's uh avalanche of recruiting news and it was still before the nfl draft so i think we're going to talk a little bit of yeah Past and future here. We got some talk about what happened in the NFL draft with Penn State, but also there's been some more important quarterback or recruiting news, but especially the quarterback news. Uh, Penn State got its quarterback in uh, Christian Veyu from Canada and also the Bullitt School in Maryland. Audrey talked to him and wrote about him on The Athletic last week. So we're going to hear some clips from that interview with Christian Veyu coming up. Uh, But first, let's talk about the guys who are no longer with the program. And the NFL draft, I feel like, Audrey, it went as expected for the most part for Penn State. Um, If you said before the draft that five players would be picked, these are the five that I think would have been picked. Uh, Yeter Gross Matos went number 38 to the Panthers in the second round. K.J. Hamler, number 46 to the Broncos, second round. John Reed, number 141 to Bill O'Brien and the Texans in the fourth round. And then a couple of sixth rounders, Cam Brown went to the Giants and Rob Windsor to the Colts. You know, Gross Matos maybe went kind of at the tail end of the window, we expected KJ Hamler maybe a little bit tad earlier than maybe was expected right before the draft, but all in all, uh, this is basically what we thought. So I don't know how many takeaways there actually are about the draft.
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't have any scorching draft hot takes, um, that are related to Penn state. Yeah, I'm I sure you have some, some Packers
0: some... thoughts, but uh, of course, and I have so some I have Eagles some thoughts. Ones. So, you know, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, it, to me, I, I will say though, I really enjoyed the draft. Um, I mean, I think we all wanted and needed a distraction, so it was great. But I loved the format of it. Um, I really enjoyed that you got to see the coaches and the GMs in their homes and the players selected, you know, sitting on their couches with their families and loved ones. Um, I'd be absolutely fine if the draft went like that every (laughs) year. I mean, I just thought it was really, really cool. Um, But, yeah, no surprises from the Penn State uh, realm of things. I mean, if anything, Gross Matos hung around – a little a few bit, more yeah. picks longer but nothing substantial um, KJ Hamler ultimately gets picked probably a little bit higher than I would have thought by a few picks nothing again nothing significant um, but clearly as we thought all along right decision for both of those guys um, I was actually doing some radio last late last week with the station in Denver and it's interesting to hear you know all of their questions about Hamler and what are the Broncos getting and How's he going to fit it in the slot? And a lot of what they're saying, Matt, is, is he ultimately going to be, you know, Deshaun Hamilton's replacement out there? And it's just kind of interesting how the whole thing's come somewhat They're very
0: different guys. That's the it. thing, though. Like,
1: Yeah. And that's what I kept trying to tell them. And a lot of people out there, because I've seen it even in the comments on our some stories on The Athletic after he was drafted. And I'm like, I was saying to fans, like, these are totally different players, like, I never once watched Hamler and thought about, you know, Deshaun Hamilton. Like, it's just, it's not that. But, um, of course, you know, Hamler was one of those guys who had to pick up some of the productivity once Dashaun Hamilton was out of eligibility here. So now, you know, you wonder uh, what's going to happen out there. But, yeah, pretty much standard draft for Penn State, which um, standard is good. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. And I thought, Matt, some of the maybe surprises a little bit later on, but you go back and you look at Tommy Stevens, ended up you know, in New Orleans late in the seventh round. Uh, he then gets reunited with Jawan Johnson, who's an undrafted free agent who goes to New Orleans. And there's a really good story up on The Athletic about kind of the jockeying, the behind-the-scenes look at the Panthers and Joe Brady. They wanted Tommy Stevens. Um, but, of course, New Orleans was not willing to let that happen. Kind of uh, curious to see if he can get a Taysom Hill-type role here in the coming years.
0: So Penn State had five players drafted. I feel like there there was an interesting graphic put out by Penn State, which was a great thing to sell. Which is like they've had a top 100 pick in I think 15 straight years now, uh, or a day, or, or a pick in the first couple days, which is basically a top 100 pick okay. in 15 straight years, and only like there are only like two schools that have more, uh, which is kind of surprising given you know all that happened at Penn State and all that. But the draft production, while it's not been amazing in terms of top guys like they're the Penn State has not produced many uh picks in the first two round or in the first round in recent years but yeah according to Penn State's graphic USC has had a pick on the first two day, days of the draft in 19 straight years LSU in 17 straight years and Penn State in 15 straight years I would not have guessed that stat um <laughs> Penn State is let's see uh still among the t- I had a whole bunch of stats I was tweeting out during the during the draft Penn State has um, is like 13th in picks since the start of the college football playoff tie or with a uh, 26 tie with, tie with Notre Dame, tie with Washington. Um, and overall over the last, you know, since 1970, which I had stats going back to Penn State is like really high up there. Um still high up there. They are fourth. In top 100 picks since 1970, which is when the AFL NFL merger was complete. So overall, even despite some downturns, Penn State continues to produce uh, solid amounts of draft talent. I feel like it's Penn State is really really good at producing day two type picks, but still trying to produce some more day one type picks, which I feel like we're going to talk about next year more.
1: Yeah, I think you know all those numbers that that you look at that get tweeted out. Uh, first round next year, it was, uh, I I think we can all probably agree uh, that it's going to be really, really interesting to see where Micah Parsons goes next year, where Pat Fryermuth goes next year. Um, I mean, potentially met two round one type guys and, you know, just how high up can Parsons climb in there? You know, is it fifth overall? Is it 10th? Wherever. It's going to be, you know, an interesting year in terms of draft stock for these guys, but I just to me it's always and we'll probably get into this a little bit later on um, with Christian Veiu and, and looking at the quarterback situation, but still waiting, Matt, on that first round quarterback, which to me is just mind blowing.
0: Well, that's yeah, that's one thing that Penn State has not had much success with. Obviously, uh, if you look at you know Penn State's historic numbers in with quarterbacks in the NFL, they are not good. Uh, you know, Kerry Collins the last. <laughs> I mean, for a while, Kerry Collins was yeah. the last Big Ten quarterback. To be taken in the first round, let alone Penn State. Um, and you know, their Big Ten ended that streak with Dwayne Haskins, uh, but still Penn State has not had a first round quarterback uh since nineteen ninety-five. But also if you just look like um quarterbacks in general, uh just not really <laughs> Penn State's thing with the NFL. Um if you look at the career average the career average value on pro football reference. Kerry Collins is up there pretty high among Penn State's like best NFL players because he had a really long career. But beyond that, it's like Milt Plum who played until nineteen sixty nine and then other than that, there's like <laughs> hardly any NFL success at all among quarterbacks. So
1: you know, I so. don't think uh, Milt Plum is getting sent out on any uh, <laughs> I don't Purdue think so. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> I don't know how many of our listeners have heard of Milt Plum, but you know, <laughs> let alone how many recruits have. <laughs> anyway oh, that'd be great <laughs> but uh so our nfl draft guru dwayne Dane, dwayne D- Dane brugler at the, at the athletic our guru uh had his first mock draft for next year out he had Micah parsons going number five to the miami dolphins and pat fryermuth going number 11 to the miami dolphins <laughs> so <laughs> i, I doubt i doubt that's the way it'll play out a year from now but dane is very good at this so he might be right Uh, For all we know. So that
1: means I'll get to go to South Florida for a story again, Matt? Is that what I hear? I
0: hope you can travel there, yes. (laughs) Um,
1: (laughs) Hey, I hope we can travel anywhere, man. And also, I I believe all of us can travel again soon.
0: I got uh, some odds in my inbox this morning from foxbet.com with its 2021 NFL draft props, uh, 360 days in advance. And Micah Parsons was listed at 25 to 1 to be the number one pick in the draft, which was the fifth best odds. So. Uh, I think I would not bet on that because I would bet anything that it'll be Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields because they're quarterbacks. <laughs> but Michael Parsons certainly wide, widely viewed as one of the top prospects for the draft.
1: Hey, if you got your stimulus check and you're <laughs> feeling a little risky, go for it.
0: Nice odds, but I wouldn't really bet on a linebacker.
1: <laughs> <before>. <laughs> Probably not a smart pick.
0: Um. All right, so... Let's move on to – we mentioned the five guys who were picked. Two of those were defensive linemen in Gross Matos and Rob Windsor. So two starters gone from the defensive line, and that's along with Sean Spencer, the defensive line coach, who is somewhat reunited with Cam Brown with the Giants. Cam Brown going to the Giants as a linebacker, but some familiarity there. Uh, But new position coach has to replace two of the five NFL draft picks, and that is John Scott Jr., who – was hired in February, had not yet been formally introduced to the media, and that finally came via Zoom last week. So, Audrey, what is your takeaway from getting to finally meet uh, John Scott Jr., although from a distance?
1: You know, I was a little confused at first because his Zoom background, I think, was like Everest, and I was like, my side <laughs> of State College doesn't look like this. <laughs> um, so, you know, but I think it's really it's been interesting to see all of these coaches on Zoom and just to kind of get that face-to-face interaction. Even if you're just meeting somebody this way, um, it's certainly been really, really helpful. And we've heard from all of Penn State's assistants and coordinators this offseason, and we'll get a chance to talk with James Franklin again at the middle of this week. So, I mean, all of that stuff's been super valuable. But in terms of John Scott Jr., um, the connections between he and Brent Pry are pretty crazy just in terms of, you know, Scott was a defensive end at Western Carolina, His senior year in 1998, Western Carolina hires this guy who's coming off of being a GA at Virginia Tech, lots of energy. Uh, Scott's raving about this guy's energy. Well, it turns out it's Brent Pry, And this is like, you know, one of Pry's first jobs uh, at Western Carolina. So they work together there. Uh, Scott loves him. Then Scott goes off and gets into teaching. And he's teaching 10th and 11th grade English after he, you know, wraps up his, his playing stint trying to... You know, have some flyers here and there, and those types of things. But teaching tenth and eleventh grade English, decides he hates the teaching part of it, but really likes the high school coaching football part of it. Calls Brent Pry in 2002, kind of looking for answers. And hey, you know, what should I do? Pry at that point um, is at Louisiana Lafayette. Basically says, hey, you know, I need a I need a graduate assistant. Why don't you come here? So they go there. They get reunited. Um, and then, of course, they overlapped again for one year uh, at Georgia Southern. So when Scott was the D-line coach uh, and special teams coordinator and Pry was the defensive coordinator. So, I mean, that was the recommendation to James Franklin. As they're going through this whole process, um, Brent Pry calls John Scott and says, hey, we think we might lose Sean Spencer. Spencer had gotten to know uh, John Scott over the years through Pry, so then, you know, hey, the whole thing just works out, and, you know, Penn State gets a guy who they're happy with, and now as things really got rolling here uh, in April and May on their recruiting trail, Penn State now has a defensive end as well, their first defensive lineman in the 2021 class, so now we're starting to get to know John Scott a little bit more uh, as he gets kind of more wrapped into recruiting and those kinds of things, but no doubt. I mean, he's got big shoes to fill. He knows it. Everybody there knows it, and one of the things I wrote on The Athletic is Brent Price said, listen, his nickname's not going to be Chaos. They're different personalities, no doubt about it. Um, but as long as you can produce defensive linemen uh, and do it at a high clip like Sean Spencer was able to do, people here are going to love him. And it's just, to me, Matt, you kind of look at all the success Penn State's had with defensive linemen and really that defense as a whole for the most part. Uh, the last few years. And Spencer was, uh, of course, the glue to that. I mean, that's a really, really big reason why Penn State's been successful. But you know what? Um, You've got to feel for John Scott, though. He takes over. Uh, he said he still hasn't seen his players in pads. You know, of course, you lose spring ball, you don't get that opportunity. So you feel for him and that he's got to build these relationships via Zoom. And that has to be really tough to do. He said, you know, ideally, this spring, he would have players over for dinner, and he'd get to know them away from football that way. But you just don't get that opportunity right now, uh, which is certainly has to be difficult.
0: And you know, speaking of the draft, uh, John Scott was only at South Carolina for one year, so I guess we'll, we'll give him partial credit. South Carolina did produce a high draft pick on the defensive line this year. Javon Kinlaw, the defensive tackle, went to the 49ers at number 14 overall, so uh, you know, Scott has worked with a very, very highly touted defensive lineman at least last year at South Carolina, and uh, we expect. You know, they might they lost two draft picks as we said, but still a ton of talent in that room to work with. Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about Jason Oway, and I, I feel like I don't even know who I, actually I don't even know who I would say is like most in line to be like the breakout guy because we've talked a lot about PJ Mustafer, too. Like, yeah, both of those guys feel like. You know, guys who in full-time roles can become, if they, you know, hit that potential, could become all Big Ten types, could become NFL types. And, uh, you know, Owe especially feels like somebody who will blow up at the NFL Combine in a year or two as well. So a lot of intriguing talent to work with, for sure, for John Scott Jr. And it's like they lose two really, really, really talented guys who were draft picks, but I still don't expect, like, some big drop-off on the defensive line.
1: Yeah. And I think that's always been their MO. It's like, Hey, you know, we've, we've changed over next man up. We heard Sean Spencer always would go back to the line. You know, we don't reload re, or we, yeah, we don't reload, we rebuild or so, we don't rebuild, we reload, whatever it is, um, whatever line that we I'm don't rebuild, we reload. <laughs> Let's yeah. <get> that right. <laughs> whatever they do, Matt, they keep the linemen coming. Um, but you know, that's, that's just been so much of their success here. And You know, I think that's where you have to look at it. And last year, maybe we all probably, not maybe, we probably all did jump the gun on O.A. a little bit and expected more than we saw in terms of production and those types of things. But again, look at the guy in front of him. He's going early in the second round of the Carolina Panthers and Etor Grossmato. So I think this has to be the year for O.A. to take that next step because the thing that's always been really exciting about him is the fact that he was always this project, kind of this physical specimen who they could, you know, bend and shape and mold into however they wanted. And now they're getting to that point. And, you know, we've heard about the 40-yard dash times before. Um, you know, it's, it, the athleticism is there that this very well could be their next freak. But I agree with what you said about P.J. Mustafer as well. Uh, P.J. wants to be able to get after the passer more. And that's something that you know, he's working on. I had a conversation with him on the phone this spring where he said, listen, I'm not sitting at home, you know, eating pizza and watching Netflix. (laughs) Like, you know, he's still working out really hard at home and being really conscientious about his diet and those kinds of things uh, because Penn State needs him to have a big season. So um, the rest of us can sit home and have pizza and watch Netflix. uh, But these guys certainly aren't.
0: Penn State has had uh, 36 draft picks in the past 10 years, or I sh- sorry, I should say 38 draft picks in the past 10 years. 10 of them have been defensive linemen. And, of course, Penn State has not had a defensive player taken in the first round since uh, 2010, which was Jared Odrick, a defensive lineman. So even though they haven't had a first rounder, <laughs> round, they've obviously had lots of success on defense, and a lot of that has come from the defensive line repeatedly. So it has been a big last month or so for recruiting for Penn State. Seven commitments in April, another commitment in May. We just had another commitment here from... Uh, Rodney McGraw, the three-star defensive end from Elkhart, Indiana, previously committed to the Indiana Hoosiers, now a Penn State commitment. And the class starting to get kind of full, Audrey, and uh, kind of mm-hmm. just the latest in a little bit of a run here.
1: It is. Uh, you know, you think back to Landon Tangwall, and we were talking a little bit before we started recording today, that that felt like it was a really, really long time ago when he committed to Penn State. Um, but it wasn't. That was late March. But Penn State's 2021 class Now up to 11 members. Um, Of course, McGraw met three-star defensive end, ranked 409th nationally, also the uh, seventh best prospect in Indiana. So Penn State gets their first defensive lineman in the class, which is really important because they're going to need to reload with a lot of defensive ends um, with this group. So now they can start getting that going. Also, another little bit of recruiting news that came out as we were gearing up uh, to record today, because of course, that's always how these things happen. Unsurprisingly, um, five-star quarterback Caleb Williams released his top three. Penn State, not in it, not a surprise, Uh, but Williams' finalists are Oklahoma, LSU, and Maryland. So for Penn State, uh, best case scenario is that Williams doesn't go to Maryland. That way, you don't have to play against him. Oklahoma Um, seems like the favorite, and justifiably so, given
0: you know their ability to just produce Heisman winners and (laughs) first and second round picks and all of that. (laughs) Like it's a good selling point.
1: Yeah, I mean it's you know what this was. Penn State was kind of on the outside looking in here uh, for the last little while with Williams, but Penn State has gathered and got themselves their quarterback with Christian Veyu, the four-star prospect uh, from Ottawa. And interestingly enough, you look at Veyu and the fact that it's like, okay, Penn State has this Canada pipeline going on, particularly uh, with Ottawa, and even more specifically with Ottawa's Gridiron Academy. I'm sure Penn State fans will probably remember Michael O'Connor. He was big-time quarterback recruit, got to Penn State, um, committed to Bill O'Brien, got here right when O'Brien was leaving, actually got on campus. I remember this because I remember talking to him. Got on campus the same time that James Franklin was doing his introductory press conference at Penn State. Um, So, of course, didn't work out for O'Connor, who transferred after a year at Penn State. Uh, Ended up playing, going to the University of British Columbia. Uh, Now he's with the Toronto Argonauts. So I've really gone down a rabbit hole of Canadian football here in the past week, writing about Veyu, and Penn State's pipeline, uh, but it's fascinating because you look at it and Gridiron Academy, which is run by Vic Tedondo, Vic has been at Penn State camps for years, bringing players there uh, down from his academy. I believe Patrice Renee was one of their guys a few years ago, um, the DB, and it's just something where these guys get familiar, right? They get familiar with Penn State, they get familiar with the program, and this is where Jonathan Sutherland trained at Gridiron Academy. Jesse Lucchetta was in and out of Gridiron Academy as a kid. Um, interestingly enough, Christian Veyu got to Gridiron Academy right when Michael O'Connor was leaving Penn State. At the time, Veyu was like 10 or 11 years old, and Tadondo made it a point, the trainer who runs Gridiron Academy, to say to Christian, listen, I think you can be just as good as Michael, but see how good Michael is right now, and he's transferring we can't have that happen with you. You need to be even better. And so, I mean, as big as the world is, Matt, with all of these connections and recruiting and with teams, Penn State now finds itself here getting this four-star quarterback who whose eyes were opened up to Penn State in part because Michael O'Connor went there. And Michael's journey, which started with Michael going to a school in Tennessee and then to IMG Academy before going to Penn State, in many ways, laid the foundation for Vayu and his family to realize, okay, Christian's going to have to go to the U.S. to garner big-time offers, and that's what he did. He went to Canisius up in New York, uh, gets his first offer from the University of Buffalo. Then he goes to Bullis School in Maryland, and he reclassifies in there. So it's just part of this whole journey for him. Um, But I also think, Matt, um, this is going to be one of the best last names that Penn State's had in a long time. Uh, so we'll cut to our conversation when I talked with Christian last week. Um, and we started off by I was asking him about how he got into Gridiron Academy and how he got into knowing Victor Dondo. And of course, we get into that very fun, very French last name as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, like, I remember the first time I met um, Coach Victor was one of my practices and um, he literally came out during my practice just, like, watching. You know, we talked afterwards, and, you know, Michael was definitely a part of that conversation. Like, he told me, like, look at what he's doing. Like, I think you could be doing the same thing. Like, you have a lot of potential with it. So I think, um, you know, having Michael there and, and him being, like, a role model to it definitely helped him. Um, honestly, I don't think him going to Penn State had um, that strong of an effect uh, for me, going to Penn State, but right. his, his journey going to the U.S. definitely um,
1: inspired me, for sure. And, I mean, because that's, I remember when Michael was going through it, it's like he went to, he was in Tennessee, and then he was at IMG Academy before coming here, and obviously you've been in New York, and then now um, in Maryland, and of course back home now, but, you know, you've kind of gone that route, too, and so did you grow up? Like, were you big on football growing up? Did you play other sports, or how'd you kind of get into it?
2: Um, I come from a family I played hockey, so my dad played hockey, my mom played hockey, um, my little brother played hockey, but my dad was always a huge football fan. Um, and the story <laughs> goes that when I was a baby, he would put me in front of the TV. Um, we would watch Colts games, so I guess I was kind of brainwashed as a little kid. Um, <laughs> and then one day he was watching, um. You know a Colts game, and I told him I wanted to be the next Penny Manning, and that's pretty much what it all it all started off. So I think my dad is the one who really got me into it. And I mean, once I started throwing the football around, like I realized, like I really, really enjoyed it. So
1: that's cool. So you kind of broke away from the hockey scene a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's it's always interesting because like I know. Um I went to Windsor this past year to talk with Theo Johnson and get to know him a little bit. And, you know, he was just kind of, he's like, yeah, we just grew up, you know, on football too. And, um, Vic was telling me, I guess, is, is your first language French?
2: Yeah. So I actually grew up speaking French until, um, the seventh grade where I, I switched over to, um, an English public school. So before that I was pretty much entirely just French. So, um, uh, I had an uncle who spoke English, um, so I pretty much got some some English off of him. And I would always watch TV in English, so I had a good like a good base. But um, honestly, like I was better at speaking French than English until the seventh grade. So,
1: <laughs> then, so then you had to kind of switch over.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Man, that had to be was that challenging? I'm guessing. I mean, I I can only imagine it had to be.
2: Um, it was challenging at first, but then you realize. Like the the French language is so much more complicated than English, and once you know how to speak English, it's just so easy compared to French. There's there's just so many like grammatical um, rules and um, and things that you have to account for. So um, for me, it was just like interacting with people. Um, that was hard at first, but like once I got the hang of it, like it was like um, you know the roles switched. I, I was learning speaking English and French, so. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: that's pretty cool, and that's so your last name then,
2: Valou. Yeah, that? it's Bayou. So Bayou. French. It's um, yeah, so that's the English version, but in French it's Bayou. So it's really a, uh, it's really a French last name.
1: I look forward to seeing how many times his last name gets butchered in the coming years. I can hear it already uh, in in the press boxes getting cut up by. Several, I hope we've done okay. Uh, I hope we've speakers. done okay. <laughs> you know, I, that's the thing I'm sitting there and I was like, okay, like you got to lay this one out for me. You know, how did they, you You gotta, gotta get it right. Um, but you know, as Christian kind of goes through this journey of becoming a quarterback, um, goes to Bullis school, which is where he's at now. But of course now as in pre pandemic days, he's currently back home um, in Ottawa with his family, but The Bullis School, now Penn State fans will probably remember this is where Cam Brown came from. It's also where Jonathan Holland came from. And, oh yeah, it's also where Dwayne Haskins went. And that was a really important detail um, for Veyu as he was looking at a school to go to. So he outlines here the Bullis School, and also I started asking him about his other finalists. And remember, Clemson and LSU came on late here, so this is the kind of prospect you're dealing with. This is somebody... Who a lot of other teams really wanted, um, which of course you can hear me ask Christian how one says no to Clemson and LSU. They've actually had quite a few kids at Penn State over the years, um, obviously, and you know and you get the Dwayne Haskins effect in there too. Uh, how yeah. did you kind of, did that factor in your decision at all, knowing that you know they helped produce Haskins, or how did that happen?
2: Uh, I mean, like knowing that Haskins went to bonus, I mean, it was definitely um something I looked at and I was like, um, you know, there must be something interesting there. And when I met Coach Salento down there and I saw the program that they had, like I understood why he was so successful and why he ended up going where he went. So I felt like it was just a great fit for me and, and that I could do the same things that he did. And, um, I mean, that was definitely um a motivational factor for sure.
1: And that's what um Coach Salento was telling me that, you know, last, last year they're kind of getting to know you a little bit. Um, first game of the season, I, he said, I think it was maybe like fourth and 12, and you, you completed a big pass late in the game. And that's kind of when he knew, like, oh boy, like, you know, like this kid's for real. Um, do you remember that, that play? I'm guessing that moment.
2: Yeah, I remember that exact play, actually.
1: Really? <laughs> what do you remember about it?
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean, I remember, um, I honestly, didn't know it was fourth down until after the play. I thought it was third down. <laughs> um, and we ran um we ran a a post wheel concept. So okay. um like pretty much off the bat I just I pretty much read the coverage and I saw the safety playing um flat footed and I knew that um my receiver was gonna beat that corner and get behind that safety. So I knew I just dropped back, I looked at that safety and then last second I just threw the post and and we scored to to get back in and then tie the game up. So yeah, that was a pretty exciting moment.
1: <laughs> and you thought it was third down. That's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And I mean, as you kind of make make that transition, how how do you feel, or where do you feel like you still have room to grow as a quarterback? What are some of the things you're looking to do better? Um, cause Pat was telling me that, you know, it's, you guys are doing ton of RPO stuff and that you, you've gotten really good and comfortable with that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I feel like every, every single aspect of my, ba- my game can be improved, you know, um, you know, accuracy, footwork, throwing on the run, um, you know, just reading defensive coverages and, you know, just being, in control of the game, I feel like I've got a lot still to improve and I think that's one of the good things about me is that, you know, I'm not, I'm not done developing and I'm not done improving. So I feel like there's a lot of, um, stuff left for me to accomplish and, um, and strive for. So I mean, I'm, I'm just working on everything this offseason. I'm trying to be the best version of me that I can possibly can in, in every, every aspect of my game. So
1: and how challenging is that now with like parks shut down and stuff and training um how are you you just kind of lifting weights working out at home or how are you how are you doing that
2: yeah I mean at first I was just in my basement doing my own workouts I got I've got a couple of things out here but you know I was getting real creative with um you know, how I was lifting things and what I was lifting and <laughs> the stuff that I was doing. So but now our team is good. Like we're doing Zoom workouts and we all hop on there and our trainer gives us a bodyweight weight workout and we do that all together as a team. But um I mean throwing wise uh there's a field in front of my house and um I'll go out to that field and throw. Um I've got a neck that I throw into so I just use that. But um you know it's definitely challenging not having a structure and you know, just not being able to finish school and then go in the weight room for two hours and just have that structured schedule. So, I mean, it's definitely a challenge, but I've gotten I've gotten used to it, and it makes you realize how um, you need to dedicate yourself and and be focused on your process. So.
1: Oh yeah, that's good, good that you have a net. I was going to say, otherwise, I know some some quarterbacks right now. It's like they're thrown to kind of whatever receiver they can find, or to dad, or yeah. whoever. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's just the whole thing is crazy. Um, and when, I guess when did you know in your mind that Penn State was it? Cause I know, I mean, looking at Duke, obviously, like the, the Cutcliffe factor is always a thing with guys when they're, they're looking there, but when did you kind of figure that, alright, this is it, even with, you know, campuses shut down? Like you said, you'd been to Penn State so many times.
2: Right. I mean I've always I've always had a love for Penn State and ever since they offered me, you know, from the get go I felt like that was a school that I could see myself at and um you know, I was looking at Duke and Clemson, and those were two really good schools, but ultimately like the, the moment I knew was um this Sunday. Um this Sunday morning I woke up and I remember we were at um my family cottage up um, up back in Canada and, I just told my parents, like, I think I'm ready to make my decision. And they asked me who, and I was like, it's Penn State. And they told me I agree. So I pretty much knew on Sunday, and then Monday I, I called Coach Frank and Coach Sherlock and Coach Bowen. I let them know I announced it yesterday. So, yeah, it was nearly this Sunday that I knew, I <laughs> knew
1: 100%. You just, just kind of woke up and you're like, all right, this is it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I had been, honestly, the last, like, three two, three weeks I had really been thinking about it and just really focusing on every aspect of it. And, you know, that morning I woke up and I was like, yeah, I know where I want
1: to go, so. Yeah, that's it's always, I'm sure, nice, too, to to get it kind of out of the way and just have some peace of mind with it, too.
2: Yeah, I mean, recruiting can get crazy, especially – like, especially now during quarantine, like, coaches don't have anything else to do, so they're always trying to (laughs) talk to stuff. so, yeah, it started getting a little crazy, so I was like, yeah, I'm done with this, I need to shut this
1: down, Yeah, and, uh, one of your coaches was telling me that, I guess, did, uh, didn't LSU offered you late as well, or they kind of came in late?
2: Yeah, they pretty much offered me, um, I think it was a day or two after Clemson offered, so, yeah, it was a couple, like a month ago, I'd say.
1: <laughs> how, I mean, how do you say no to that? Because you look at Joe Burrow, you look at what they've done, obviously, you look at Clemson, you look at Trevor Lawrence, that's got to be tough to say no to, right?
2: Yeah, it was tough to say no to, I mean, LSU, I, I had never been on campus before, mm-hmm. obviously because of this coronavirus thing, I couldn't get back there within the time frame that I wanted to commit, so. Um, I mean, for me, relationships are important, and I just felt like I didn't have that relationship with, with the staff there at LSU and stuff, and, I mean, Clemson was definitely hard to turn down for sure, but, I mean, um, you know, I just felt like Penn State was a better fit for me overall, and if Clemson was, I would have think for sure, but, you know, Penn State just felt right, and, you know, I, I I been to Clemson once, and I was planning on going again, but that got canceled, so, um. You know, you never know what could have happened if coronavirus was a thing, but I think ultimately I would have circled right back to Penn State just because yeah. it, you know, it feels right, and I've always done in the back of my mind that this was definitely a spot for me. So
1: I don't know, Matt. Would you um, would you be able to say no to Clemson right now? Would you be able to say no to LSU? Um. Well,
0: it's hard, but <laughs> I mean,
1: <laughs> gotta do you gotta Penn do. State's
0: closer to home, and you know, you, it, it's. I think obviously the competition in the Penn State quarterback room is tough, but it's also really, really tough at those places as well um, because they're just, you know, factories for top talent right now. So, you know (laughs) – I also think those are the types of schools that are going to get competition for him as well. So it, it's it, it's hard to say no, but Penn State still does offer a ton. So I don't, I don't think we – we don't have to do James Franklin's pitch for him, but um, <laughs> I, I think <laughs> but, there's still it's, – it's still a very, very attractive destination, even if it's not – it's still a top, like, 12 destination oh, right now, even if it's not top four.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, I, and that's always the point, you know, especially with quarterbacks, because it's always such a different ballgame when you're recruiting quarterbacks – there's going to be competition in every single room that you go into. Um, you know, just look back at Joe Burrow and, you know, his route that, that he was on and every room features that. But Penn State is uniquely positioned in that by the time they you gets here, which, my gosh, Matt, a year from now seems like an eternity, um, but Penn State theoretically could, should, maybe will, um, have six scholarship quarterbacks. Because, of course, you'd have Sean Clifford, you'd have Will Levis, you'd have Taquan Roberson, Michael Johnson Jr., Micah Bowens, who's actually slated to enroll next week when Penn State starts the May semester. Now, obviously, um, the campus is not open now, but guys can still enroll virtually and start taking classes and those kinds of things. Um, but that would make Veyu the sixth quarterback. And when he was having these conversations with Kirk Sharaka about, you know, how he wants to develop quarterbacks, about what he sees in this offense in this blended thing. And it brings me to this point, too, Matt. You know, this is somebody who's ranked as a pro-style passer, not necessarily a true dual-threat guy. Uh, that's interesting in that Ricky Ronnie, we always saw, you know, kind of the, the Trace McSorley mold from Joe Moorhead Ricky Ronnie. We saw Clifford get more athletic uh, in the last couple years and certainly last season. But Veyu told me, you know, he he's a pass-first guy. He'll run if he has to. Bullis School does a lot of RPOs, um, but he's certainly not scared of the competition in the quarterback room. Um, so here's Christian outlining what he thinks he's going to be stepping into when he gets to Penn State next year.
2: I mean, I'm I'm confident in my abilities, and mm-hmm. you know, I I've done my homework, and I I know who's in that QB room, and you know, they're all great players, but. You know, at the end of the day, I have confidence in myself that, that I can go in there and win the job. And You know, I'm confident in my abilities to, to, to step in there and, and compute. That's the one thing I'm going to do is I'm going to get there and, you know, compete my ass off and make sure that I get to the point where I want to get and, you know, start. So, I mean, whoever, whatever school I go to, um, you know, there's always going to be competition. So you, you can't really base your... Um, your decision off of that. So I think the way I look at it is just no matter who's in there, you go in there and you compete. Uh, you know, competition personally makes me better. So,
1: And so there you have it. It's so our conversation with Christian Veyu um, back home in Ottawa, riding out the quarantine just like the rest of us. Uh, but, Matt, I'm really curious to see what the month of May May looks like for Penn State in terms of recruiting because – We've you know, always seen it heat up, but also, what does the rest of this summer, summer look like with recruiting, but also with the current team? Um, as we saw, the Big Ten, of course, came out earlier this week. We're recording this on Monday. Um, Big Ten came out on Monday as well, and remember, originally, um, activities were suspended through May 4th, which is today, but now... We're reaching into June here, I believe. I want to say, is June 4 the new date, Matt? I'm going to say my computer's computer's freezing. Either June 1 or June 4. Um, Yeah, June June 1st, the beginning of June. So all activities are still suspended through the beginning of June. Um, We'll see what happens after that. Um, (laughs) We're we're kind of in the same holding pattern as everyone else here. So uh, we shall see.
0: Indeed. So, well, recruiting gives us something to talk about right now. So, again, you know, Christian Veyu, four-star quarterback, kind of every class kind of revolves around when a team lands its quarterback, especially when it's of the caliber that Veyu is. You know, he's not the, he's not Caleb Williams in terms of rankings, but he's a top 300 player nationally. Um, a, a very, very important commit, commitment for Penn State. But also Penn State landed, uh, we talked about McGraw, uh, you know, since the last we talked, Jeffrey Davis, the three-star corner from Connecticut. And also – uh, Sander Sahedak, the kicker from Liberty High School in Bethlehem, who is the number one rated kicker, according to Coles, which helps rate kickers. So uh, decent run for Penn State here. It leaves them with 11 commitments where we stand right now, which is 13th nationally, only fifth in the Big Ten, but that's partially because of the, the volume. Game. Uh, yeah. Minnesota already has – I think Minnesota has more commitments. They have like 14 – they have 14. Iowa has 14. And then Ohio State has both volume and quality because they have 17 and three of them are five stars and 11 of them are four stars. But uh, Penn State is fifth right now. And I don't know, the way it's tracking, it it feels like probably be a top four type Big Ten class. And we'll see how they finish. There's still some big ones out there. Um, You wrote recently as well the top remaining targets for Penn State, which will change the next time you do it. Mm -hmm. Um, Caleb Williams was number one, but that was before value committed, before Caleb Williams trimmed his list down. So I think we'd both agree that right now the number one target is Nolan Ritchie, the five-star offensive tackle from Warwick, Pennsylvania. And important for a couple of reasons. One, he's a five-star. Two, he's the number one recruit in Pennsylvania. And three, it's a good year for top talent in Pennsylvania, but it's not necessarily a good year for for Penn State landing that top talent in Pennsylvania. They've done a good job in Maryland, you know, done a good job in Virginia, done a good job in Detroit, you know. Uh, but not necessarily the strongest year in-state this year, but Nolan Rucci could change that conversation.
1: That's the one, Matt. That's um, not to spoil my, my board anymore, but we'll both agree, we do, that he is number one on that list now. <laughs> you know, you've got your quarterback. You've got to get Nolan Rucci. And actually, I did uh, ask Veyu about Rucci in particular. And, you know, what, how exciting would that be for him if you get Landon Tangwall, who's already verbally committed, and Nolan Rucci, Two huge marquee recruits helping keep you upright. Um, that's certainly you know really really enticing for any quarterback. But that's something that they, you said. Yeah, I mean they're working on it. And of course, the other big piece to this too is the receiving core. That's going to continue to be something um, that you got to tap into. And what where's Caden Prather? Where does that kind of um, shake out and all those kinds of things? But Dante Thornton Jr., another high-priority target still on the board, will also still be on my list. And as we mentioned earlier, the defensive line, um, you got to start looking at the numbers game there and how do they restock that line um, because they're, they're going to have to, and they're well aware of it, but not at all surprised, Matt, that they took a kicker. Uh, speaking with Joe Lorig via Zoom a week or two ago, That was something that he was asked about, and he said, yes, that ideally what you want to do is you'd want this kicker, whoever it may be, but now we have a name to put with it, of course. They can't say that, but we can. Um, You'd want the kicker to come in. Redshirt, his first year, which um, would be when Jake Pinniger and uh, Jordan Stout would be finishing up, comes in redshirts, then takes over after that. So, you're laying the groundwork there um, to continue restocking all of these positions. But anytime you get a quarterback, huge deal for the class. So fortunately for Penn state, that's kind of out of the way, so to speak, but you're always recruiting these guys, even once they're on board Um, and Penn state and their staff, they've done a really nice job of that, particularly uh, with these kids from Ottawa and gridiron Academy. So you know, you have to wonder, and I was asking Vic Tadondo, you know, okay, who's the next guy coming through your pipeline? Because you know Penn State's going to be interested in them. Um, so this, of course, is we talked so much about recruiting regionally and the importance of owning the state and all those kinds of things, but they've gotten really good and creative at tapping into other areas, too, and VEU definitely is is a byproduct of one of them.
0: So still, you know, some excitement for Penn State recruiting, still plenty to keep an eye on. Uh, as always, check out The Athletic. If you're not a subscriber, we still got a 90-day free trial going on as well. Uh, and Audrey is still pumping out lots and lots and lots of Penn State content. So, yeah, check it out. A uh, story last week too. some recovering the news, recovering rec- recruiting, recovering the draft. We're also, you know, kind of going offbeat to, Audrey, you wrote last week about Denny Dowd's, James Franklin's m- mentor at East Stroudsburg. Yes. So we have lots of... Uh, Kind of fun stories uh, along those lines, too, up on The and, Athletic. And,
1: Matt, our favorite series is back. Penn State will be featured, as always, in our State of the Program series, which kicked off this week as well. Um, <laughs> one team per day, overall assessment of the program, running from, what, now until, I think, late July?
0: Yeah, it'll be, it'll be going for a while. So, Penn yeah, State,
1: so you might have to wait a, a little ready. bit for
0: Penn State, but trust us that Audrey is working on it
1: <laughs> or so my editor thinks
0: <laughs> anyway that will do it so we, we hope everybody uh we thank everybody for listening and hope everybody continues to to stay safe and uh we are still hoping to be looking forward to a football season as well to talk about but either way we have lots to talk about here uh on dear old state so Audrey thank you and uh, stay safe and thanks everybody for listening